World records and tournaments in general are meaningless to many unless they are ones that move the needle or have historical substance. Recognition and fame is a reward for doing something outstanding, not continuous chest pounding. And two, I appreciate the opinions of those that frown upon both. I get it. On today's podcast is a person that is on a silent mission, her own quest to do outstanding things, seeking only to achieve her goals without a spotlight. I admire her and her successes. Kat Vallely is a woman whose focus is on permit and permit only. She's driven and works harder at her craft than anyone. She's caught two outstanding permit records this year and finished third in the IGFA's fall permit tournament. All men and one woman. She's awesome. I hope you dig it. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow and he turned around the other way and I shot him going through the other way. So I double lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. (laughs) There's something fishy going on here. All right, Kat, it's great to have you on the show. And uh, obviously, I've seen you every time I walk into the angling company, (laughs) this very modest, quiet person doing what you do. But yet this year, you've had a huge voice in the world of permit fishing. And uh, just to highlight that, this year, you've caught a new world record on four pound tests, a permit that uh, is now nine point nine and a half pounds. You caught a six pound world record permit, which is a 21 pound fish, the, the the fish before that was nine and a half. And you got third in the IGFA um, permit tournament against all the guys. Yeah. I mean, hallelujah, right? Yeah, it's been a great year. It's been a great year. A lot of, lot of more fishing than normal because of the whole COVID thing. So I got out on the water a lot, which was really cool. And to be able to see the water like that with basically no one here, it felt pretty cool. What was that like? Well, I mean, there there were just days where you'd go out and not see another boat for eight hours. And I mean, I don't think we'll ever see that again. I've certainly never seen it. Um, But I fished with Simon Becker and he told me that fishing down here during that time was kind of like fishing 25 years ago when he when he first started just and then too he may have seen a boat or two here and there but this year it was completely void of boats yeah i mean you there were still people who lived down here who were getting out you know right. like us but just not not near the boat traffic that there you, normally is did you see that your ability to fish improve dramatically because the fishing was that much better 
it, it's it's hard for me to know what to attribute that to. Right. Um, I did have some great fishing this year, but some of that, some of the best days that I had were before it shut down. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say there was a huge change in the number of shots or anything like that, but um, just to have fish that you know weren't seeing a lot of boats, I think maybe they Pressure. were. Yeah, maybe they were a little bit yeah, we kinder get, to us. We, yeah, I, I agree. We got down here early, maybe mid-May. And we'd come out of a certain channel and look all the way to Key West, 17 miles away, and not see a boat yeah. on the beach. And like like you just made mention, I don't think we'll ever see that again. Yeah. That was the silver lining. I mean, that was a really stressful time, but being able to get out there. Right. There was definitely a awareness while it was happening that it was a... Amazing opportunity Surreal. to see the fishery that way. Let's talk about your fishing. Um, what's, did you grow up fishing with a father that introduced you to the sport, to the outdoors in any way? I grew up in Pennsylvania and we, we lived in the you know Appalachians. And so we were definitely out outdoors a lot, but we never really fished. My dad was interested in fishing, but the few times that we went fishing were kind of, you know, sitting there waiting for something to bite, which I just didn't have the attention span for. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I would catch frogs and stuff like that. And I loved being outside, but I never fished. Um, and I see you, the little that I know you, you're kind of maybe like a like a tomboy, possibly, when you were growing up. You didn't, you weren't afraid to get your knees dirty out there playing <laughs> no, definitely on the playground? <laughs> Grass what, stains all over the place. What, what were your passions back then? Um, you know, I've, I love to just play outside when I was a kid we my brother and I had a pond across the street and we would go and catch frogs and tadpoles and stuff like that um would you touch the tadpoles and of frogs of course yeah, yeah so you, <laughs> uh, but good for you yeah and I then, know a lot of the guys that wouldn't do that <laughs> Nikki <laughs> <laughs> well um yeah we we had a lot of fun doing that and then I was interested in sports and music and stuff like that what kind of sports uh, I did field hockey, soccer, and then in high school, I ran track and cross country. Wow. Real athlete. Yeah. But- was, it, was it hard to pick up fly fishing? And, and when was that? And how did you get involved with throwing the wand? So I moved down here in 2013, um, having never fished before. And um, my dad introduced me to Nathaniel because he was a customer of Nathaniel's at the shop. And uh, in what way, a customer? He he was just a fisherman. Yeah, he he had moved down here when he retired. Okay. So, um, I came down to visit, and I honestly, I was at a point in my life where I was feeling very, I was adrift. You know, I graduated from college, didn't know what I wanted to do. Were you depressed Um, in any way? Yeah, I mean, I I felt I was feeling kind of lost, and um, so I came down here. for a visit, and he and my dad encouraged me to move down here. Um, well, obviously, was it love at first sight? Oh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, I mean, I thought he was cute, but. Shortly thereafter. Yeah. But, but obviously, he wanted to see more of you. That's why he was inspiring you to move down here. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so my, uh, my dad introduced me to Nathaniel um, I actually started working at the angling company and we right. really hit it off and he 
started to give me casting lessons and we went fishing. The first time I went fishing down here was we fished for sharks, right? which I think was really good given my skills at that time where you can chum them up and sure, you know, do that easy. kind of stuff. Was it hard to learn how to fly cast? I, I mean, you're an athlete. I would think you might be able to pick it up fairly quickly. I don't know that I was a great talent to start, start out. I definitely had a lot of Great instruction. Great instruction. For sure. And, um, you know, I, I like to think that I follow directions. I attribute a lot of my early success to the people who were there to help me, you know, people who like Nathaniel, who taught me how to cast. And then the guides that I was fishing with who are just amazing, you know, giving me opportunities that made it so Very that few someone with have. my my skill set, which was not great could still have success. I could see your learning curve being quite steep, being the athlete that you are and the great people that you had supporting you and teaching you. Yeah. How long did it take you to start catching fish? And, and did there, was there a light that went off? Like, I'm like, you know, they, they, they kind of led me to this, but I really dig this. Do you remember that moment? Yeah. Um, so honestly, I think, um, so I fished a little bit for about two years and then I fished in the Dell Brown just kind of as a fluke because one of our customers and friends, Ted, uh, couldn't, couldn't make it. So we gave him store credit at the shop and I fished the tournament. Oh, how cool. And uh, that was the first tournament I've ever fished. And I caught my first permit on the last day of that, that tournament. That's and crazy. Who are you fishing with? With Drew DeLashman. Okay. And oh my gosh. Were you overwhelmed? Yes, I was freaked out. I couldn't believe it because everybody had been telling me how hard these fish were. And uh, when we caught that fish, and I was feeling kind of bad about myself because the second day of the tournament, I caught one bone fish. Um, and, you know, I was starting to feel like, yeah, man, I'm looking pretty bad right now. <laughs> you, you're feeling maybe a little bit over your head and possibly yeah. embarrassed that you were actually in a tournament with the guys. You never cut a permit. Well, I don't know if I thought about it that way, but I just wanted, I just really wanted to do something. Right. You know, I do, I'm a competitive person, even though at that time, I think it was, I give a lot more credit to my guide than to myself, but. Um, you had to make the cast. Yeah. <laughs> you caught the fish. Yeah, I'll never forget it. So that was, that was a moment for me where I just, the feeling of that was so exciting and uh compelling that right it really kind of hooked me what were some of the early learning pains if there were any in learning how to become a fly caster because obviously out west trout fishing is quite easy just you know a little dry fly fishing you're only casting 10 15 mm -hmm. feet 20 feet maybe you know 40 at the most but obviously fly casting down here in florida you're throwing into the wind that it's like a wall it's heavy air mm -hmm. What were some of those early pains of growth, if you had any? Well, it could have been a benefit to me that I didn't have any experience prior to that. So I definitely had frustrating moments. I remember this one time I was fishing with Drew and there were these two mudding permit, huge fish, just mud. And then they'd slowly move a little bit further mud again but the wind was like 25 miles an hour probably right in my face and I, I made a cast and it was short 
and he's working so hard and he like gets me a little bit closer and I make a cast and it's shorter still, you know? And I just, that win and not waiting on my back cast. Cause I, I think that there's this tendency when you get start getting freaked out to rush, which is like the worst thing that you can do. To get short with your cast? Yeah, yeah so I, quick. I, yeah, so I rush my rush my cast and I don't wait for my back cast to, I know this now looking back, but I had no idea what was wrong at the time. Right. And uh, there were definitely moments like that. That's one that is burned into my memory just because those fish stuck around for, I mean, that Drew was working so hard to get me closer and I just kept casting short and short and short. I never showed those fish the fly. It, I, I know what you're saying because here you have something that you've so so desperately want right there. I know, and your arms That's are crazy. reached out, and you're a fingertip shy of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug Kilpatrick, your guide, you know of this tournament that you just re- recently fished this fall, mm-hmm. finishing third in the IGFA permit tournament. He says that you are you have improved more than any of his anglers he's ever worked with. Wow. He says that you work harder than anybody he's ever had on his boat, any of his, you know, clients. Tell me about your work ethics today. Well, um I I practice a lot and I, I think part of it is that there was a time when I I wanted to I have the, I have these goals like my goals are to win a permit tournament and to catch these records, um, and I was I don't know I just wasn't taking a really an active enough role in achieving those goals, um, and there was just there was just this moment when when I realized like I need to be I need to be spending more time practicing I I'm, I might not be able to fish, uh you know. X number of days a year where I'm out there um, practicing, practicing this live, so to speak. Right. But I can go to the park and practice. And so I started um, kind of at the beginning of this year in earnest, um, just practicing a lot, like maybe four or five days a week. I go to the park and I cast. That's a lot. And um, even just a month of doing that earlier in the year, I, w- I could see that a huge difference. But here's my question. When you go practice in the park, a lot of people will go to the golf range and practice, but without the the understanding of the techniques and tactics, they're Mm -hmm. just refining bad habits. Oh yeah. So when you go to the park and practice, you know, you have a good understanding of what you're trying to refine. Is that key? I mean, is that the, I think so. And and for me, that comes from, having Nathaniel to come in what I what basically what I'll do is you know I'll practice for a week or two and then Nat will come with me right and he help he helps me figure out the difference yeah what what is going wrong here and having that resource has been so helpful you know also too I think if you understand what you're trying to perfect you can self-correct and self yeah you can fix your own stuff. What is your biggest, what's your weakest link and what are you working on when you go to the park? So I, uh, what I've been trying to work on really over the course of the year has been accuracy. Um, because I feel like I'm at a point where even if I, you know, can't cast the whole fly line on command, I, I can cast far enough that I could reasonably expect to hook fish. But what, what I really was trying to work on this year was like de- um, making that zone 
of where I'm happy with the fly landing smaller and smaller. So, so that I'm less, you know, if I can make that more accurate, then I'm leaving less up to chance. Yeah. You know, we sense. use that, um, that same concept in, in elk hunting, you know, aim small, miss small. Right. Because if your target is this big, you use that as your target. And if your mm -hmm. arrow hits over here, you still hit your target. Mm -hmm. But if you're aiming for a hair and your arrow is this far off or like you're, you're practicing your casting, you know, at first your target might be realistic. It might be like the, you know, the top lid of a trash can. Right. Then you start getting that smaller and smaller. I mean, I see this photograph of you up on the wall, which is a beautiful photograph of black and white. And I can see that you got the nice big hall and your stroke is all the way out in the back. Do you work on your back stroke, backhand cast as, as much? I, d I do work on it. Um, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say that it, that's the biggest part of, uh, what I'm practicing, but I have tried to get better because there's a lot of shots, a on, lot that of side shots about, on that side. Right. Yeah. And the wind's coming right, right to left. Yeah. So it's something that, that I work on. Definitely going to keep working on it. Let's talk about tackle for a second. Um, you know, obviously not having the power to push, you know, certain rods that might be too stiff. What size of rods are you throwing that might be advantageous for you to do what you need to do? Well, I, I have, uh, I mean, I'll cast a nine weight for permit mostly if it's not windy, uh, but I'll use a 10, 10 weight if it's really windy. Right. I just like the way I can feel a nine more, you know, there's just this, I just love that weight more because of the feel than anything. Right. It, it um, bends a little easier. Yeah, and I, I feel like with those rods, the lighter rods just give you a lot more feedback that you can feel while you're casting. You know, it's interesting. I, I mean, I always have associated the similarity between shooting a bow and arrow and a fly rod. A lot of people don't understand about that, that short shot. You know, most rods can throw a long way, but when you have a fish at, say, 20, 30 feet, if you mm -hmm. got a rod that's too stiff, you, you can't build line speed that a rod that won't bend. Right. And I was just wondering, since, you know, you're a woman, maybe you're, you're going, to, going to be throwing lighter tipped rods more so than maybe guys. Um, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I, I don't feel, you know, casting an 11 weight all day. I don't, doesn't make me feel like tired or so you're fine anything with like it. that. I feel pretty good about it, but, right. um, I, my preferences are more just, can I, can I feel this rod is, you know, cause there's a lot of information that you get while you're casting from the way that things feel. Right. I don't know if you feel that way. Oh, for but. sure. You know, it's like, um, you want to have feedback in your hand mm -hmm. and, and my casting has changed over the years for sure. And, um, it's all based on having that for me, most rods, uh, cast well, but I want to find a rod that fishes well. Yeah. In certain situations, you might want to have a different rod for that situation. Obviously, more wind or bigger fish, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, why permit and not your classic tarpon that most people love down here in the Florida Keys or maybe bonefish? Uh, Is it because of the influence because of Nate? Well, I'm, I'm sure that that has something to do with it just because he's taught me most of what I know. And um, that, uh, my introduction to the sport was kind of through him. But the thing that I like the most about permafishing is just 
that it's so challenging. I I love a challenge. And so you're um, okay with not catching a fish. Absolutely. I love the, you know, hunting around for this. Right. I mean, how many times in permit fishing do you get, you know, maybe five shots and on your fifth shot, you're like, that might be, that might be it, you right. know? No, and I you have it. to, there's a mental component. It's it just, there's maybe it's a little masochistic streak or something <laughs> like that. I don't know, but I don't mind the frustration um, because when, when it does come together, it feels so good. And then as your skills increase and you start figuring things out about them and then you start catching more, it's just feels so rewarding. And, you know, I've always, I don't know, the hard stuff is always what you gravitated is to more that. compelling to me. Right. They tell me too, um, Doug, is that you go out and practice wade casting, even though you're not fishing, but you're in the water wading and practicing your casting wading. Yeah, because my I've had some very embarrassing moments uh, in the water where, you know, my fly is hitting the water and, you know, things are starting to get crazy. So that's uh, why, why I started to do that. And I mean, that says so much about your desire and your passion to catch fish and do it well, is that you're practicing not only casting in a park, but you're ac actually out there waiting in the ocean practicing your casting. Yeah. <laughs> I would think that that's got to be kind of hard because you're not that tall. You don't have real long arms to right. keep the line above the water. What's the, is that the biggest challenge for you? Um, I, it, I feel like I have a lot of work to do on that area. I do have much better luck when the water is shallow. You know, sometimes sure. you're permit fishing and you're in a foot and a half of water and you're not as close to the surface of the water with your cast. Uh, but, you know, trying to get it up higher um, and, you know, being able to move the plane because I kind of cast, you know, have a sidearm cast. Yeah. Um, but, you know, trying to bring that up a little bit more, just just working on things, trying to test things out. I wouldn't say that I've necessarily gotten to the to where I want to be yet, but, um, you know, that's part of the process, which is what I love about the sport, you know. Um, the tournaments. So you got into your first tournament and then you caught one yeah and doug says that not only do you practice more than anyone but because of your passion and because of how good you are and through your practice that you win will win one day so you're talking about winning these tournaments when did you think that yes i can compete with these guys and i know i can win uh, so I would say this year when I started really putting in that time is when I, when it started to feel more realistic, there was a certain amount of optimism before, you know, where I was like, well, I, I think I could do it. Little glimmers of hope. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, just because I'm competitive, anytime I enter in a, into a competition, I'm like, I'm going to go. do it, you know? Right. <laughs> but this year I started seeing the changes and how much better that better I, I was getting the results are coming right um and uh i i feel like it, there used to be a time when i would go out and you know the last spot of the day and having not caught one i would go i would just be you know so disappointed like i don't know when the next time i'm gonna do this is or god forbid something were to go wrong say i hooked a fish and i lost it i'm like oh, i have no idea when the next time i'll I'll hook one of these things right. is. And this year, one of the biggest changes for me has been um, 
I feel like I'm getting to a point where if something goes wrong, it's cool. You're fine. I know I'm going to do it again soon. You know, I've, I, I have that confidence mm-hmm. building where um, it, it just mentally is starting to feel I wouldn't not, not necessarily easier because the competitions are, you know, kind of a battle in my own mind as well. But right. I'm I, I feel like I have a more realistic um, chance now. Right. And I, I still think that I have a long way to go. I, oh, of course, we I, all but, do. But now you see, obviously, you just got third in a tournament. You know, the writing is on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, have the previous women that have won men's tournaments, uh, Linda Robinson won the Golden Fly, a weightfish tournament. Diane Rudolph won the Holly. Um the only two other women that have won men's tournaments, do they have they inspired you in any way, or do you even know about what they have done? Well, actually, I didn't know uh, about that Linda, right? Um, but I've heard about Diana, and I I will say that early on, when I would listen to people talk about Diana Rudolph, um, what they said was that she's the real deal. For you know, sure, she's a good angler. She rigs her own stuff. She's you know, she's really passionate. And when I heard people talk about her, I, I was like, that's how I want people to think about me. Right. You know? And so she definitely inspired me. There's no question about it. But, um, what's interesting about Diana is she was working at the Florida Keys Outfitters and she was in the tackle and, and fishing. Her father had a big presence in the Keys. And so she was really embedded into catching big fish and chasing a few records. I think she's got a permit record. She had a tarpon record at 135 that was just recently broken. Um, and then all of a sudden she's kind of left the game. You know, she married Gary Seam, you know, the designer for, for Sage and lives out West, had a child. And so all of a sudden she's kind of, I mean, I thought we were going to see more of her in, in the tournament game, the men's tournaments, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and now she's gone. Um, what about um, like Joan Wolf, you know, Lee Wolf's wife, you know, women in fishing. Do you know much about the history of women in fishing by chance? Uh, I'm, I mean, I definitely know of Joan and I've, uh, I, I've heard about how great she was and great caster and really passionate. And I know that there have been a lot of women who kind of, been in the game the, the trail ahead of of me for sure um even my mother-in-law um you know who taught really taught nathaniel to fish so sh- we have a lot of and and dotties in the family sure, too for sure so i've been kind of surrounded by avid female successful anglers. women fisher yeah, exactly um, so that's been cool are, do, do you have any instances uh, aspirations and chasing records per se, like you have like Meredith McCord has got 9,242 records and counting, right? I mean, does that appeal to you in any way? Um, I, I am interested in, in certain records. I don't know that, that that's necessarily that I really want to go for a lot, a lot of records, but I am going to pursue the permit records. Um, I, I kind of feel like I've, focused on one thing to the exclusion of everything else. Right. Like, for example, I don't feel like I'm a very good tarpon angler at all. 
And why is that? I just never really do it. Do they appeal to you that much? No, I think are, are they too too hard, too big, too heavy? I think they're cool, and I I like to um, I'll, I'll fight one occasionally, um, but I just it's not that I'm not interested in them. It's just that I'm so interested in, in permit, permit that yeah. that's what I want to work on. That's what I want to spend my energy and, on. And that's why you are where you're at in the game. I mean, it takes a lot of focus and a lot of time to do something well. And if you're a saltwater fly fisherman and you're going to get diversified with other species, somebody's going to be, you're going to have to sacrifice somewhere. And you're right. not going to be nearly, that growing curve is going to be stented, if you will. Yeah. And I, I you know, there's this phrase that I, I certainly didn't come up with, but that resonates with me is that I feel like I can do anything, but I can't do everything. You know, but you're going to do that one I thing. Have, well, right. Right. I pick the things that are the most important to me. And that's what I spend all my energy doing. What's your next record you uh, are focused on? So I'm I'm considering the two pound permit record, which is vacant for women, uh, which I think would be really cool. But I also know that I have I've thrown two twice, just kind of messing around just to see if I could catch something on it. Right. And uh, Brandon and I went out and did um, just hooked some hooked two bonefish and both of them broke. So one of them ran out, got on the fly line and then took maybe 10 feet off of the reel. And then, you know how bonefish do that little right, they, surge yeah, they're right. and gone, gone. And then the second one was right on the hook says that I broke it off. So I know it's going to be like an order of magnitude harder than the four, but it would be really cool. For sure. What, uh, what kind of coaching does Nate give you for this light tippet record? Um, quest he's given me a lot of great rigging suggestions taught me how to tie the knots um, so you tie all your own bimini, I, I tie my leaders cobras i don't husband. tie cobras i, your, I, I tie a huffnagel for the um for the shock um, you huffnagel not the cobra no but, but <laughs> i feel like when when the when the tivet is so small right it's not still not a huge huffnagel is not a huge knot in four pound right so. Is that a slap in the face to your husband? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he says. Uh, but he taught he taught me how to tie those knots, and I can't tell you how many times I, like, I can't understand why this darn knot is not, not working. working. Right. And he's like, well, it's because, you know. So he's provided invaluable advice on um, rigging and stuff like sure. that. Uh -huh. Do you do you practice pulling on scales by chance? I have done that. Um, Nathaniel and I usually when when I start um, looking at a line class right. record. Um, so when we started doing the six, we rigged six pound up, we pulled on it, and you know, tried to break it basically. Right. Just to get an idea where the breaking point was. Exactly, and and the way that I've done it, I'm using. I'm not sure what I'm going to use for the two pound because the reel needs to have like super light drag for it. For sure. But for the four and the six, we were using a Mako and I was calibrating those. So I would only use, I would rely on the drag totally. Normally when I fight, fight a permit, I do kind of hand on the, use my on hand the, on the reel for sure. with 16 because. Or, or pinch the fly line. Do you pinch the fly line at all to, to inspire drag? I do. Well, or just palm, no, I, palm, I palm the reel. Palm the reel. Um, and so what I decided to do is not touch the reel at all. Just trust my drag. So right. we, you know, set the 
calibrated the drag so I knew exactly what a half a pound was and a pound was and then just trust the equipment. Now, do you mark the drag on the reel yes. with weight so you know exactly where that, that, yeah. that mark we, is? Yeah, we use a boga grip, make a dot. I put, I had marks for a half a pound, a pound, and three pounds, and I never used three. Right. Interesting stuff. What... Um, Fishing in general, in this genre, you have so many great fishermen and guides in the history of permit fishing with Del Brown and Steve Huff that basically innovated the sport. Mm -hmm. Is there anybody out there that, that you're really intrigued with and what they've done? Tons of people. I'm such a, I'm, I'm a big, you know, fangirl with this stuff you are yeah and you know to hear all those so stories about Dell and steve and then meet steve right I mean, we just went on vacation together <laughs> crazy so, so if you're collecting baseball cards but they're fishermen and guides yeah. what kind of cards would you have in your packet well you gotta have a steve huff card and i simon simon becker and doug kilpatrick i've learned i've learned so much from those guys um in different ways right um and like, you know, Simon is like almost a fly fishing philosopher, you know, he's just, we've talked about so many things and he's helped me kind of come to my own understandings of well, I, I would, how I You know, things. I've never fished with Simon Becker, but I, I would think that he's possibly similar to like John O'Hearn where uh, metaphysically spirit, spirituality is hugely a part of their process and their being on the water. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they are pretty... I mean, I know both of them and they're definitely, I think of them very differently, but um, the thing about Simon is that he, and one of the things that he kind of imparted to me was just this um, desire to always learn more. And he, he, he's still out there trying to learn new things. I mean, he's been down here for probably 30 years He's an excellent guide, but he's always looking for something special. And I've seen beautiful things with him. What kind of conversation on the water do you have with him when you're fishing? I mean, we talk about a lot of a lot of things. He's into music, so we talk we talk a little bit about music, and um, but we talk about you know we talk about the fish a lot. Um, he's helped me kind of solve problems. He has a great way, and I would say Doug does too, um, where after something goes wrong. Right, which is so important. We have a discussion about it. Right. Never, They never make me feel bad. Um, but they go, we talk about what could have been better. And that's so huge for, you know, growing as for an sure. angler to just be, you know, reflect on that stuff. For afterwards. sure. And so who else is in your baseball foot, or uh, <laughs> flats fishing card collection? Um, so some of, some of the anglers that I've fished against in these tournaments um, have really inspired me, too, because they've just shown me how. What can be done. Yeah. I mean, Nathaniel, Joe, Scrumbellos, um, you know, I, I, and, and, and many others. I mean, my, Mike Ward, Mike Dawes, like, all those people. And I'm especially as I was kind of getting where I really didn't understand a lot of this stuff just to see what they were able to do. Um, you know, the March Merkin is good for that because sometimes you have just horrible weather. Right. And some of these, you might get one shot the whole time. 
you know, and some of these people are catching that one fish. Right. Spend eight hours of the day looking into glared out 25 mile an hour wind, just horrible conditions. And to get one shot in that whole time and have the focus and the presence in that moment and then the skills to get it done, it's just it, those tournaments, I don't feel like they say much about the people who didn't catch fish because but they say a lot about the people who did. I'm going to point right over there to your, to your yeah, husband. Yeah, he's Nate. one of them. I mean, here's a, a case in point. It's blowing terribly, really, really cold. And all of a sudden, John O'Hearn says, we got to make a move. And they race out to the Marquesas. And they and he's thinking, you know, where can I find some warm water where I might be able to find a fish? They find that fish and mm -hmm. your husband catches that fish and wins the tournament. Yeah. That is the ultimate challenge. And that's where that team plays so hugely bringing their assets to the table, each the guide mm -hmm. and the angler, and that mixture pays dividends. Absolutely. And that's a, such a great dynamic about this sport is that team effort. effort. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If you had one question to ask the late Del Brown, who was the man who caught 500 permit before permit were catchable, He's been long, long gone. What, what, that, what would that question be possibly? I would just like to hear him talk about the, like the process of develop of like pioneering these, um, you know, techniques and flies and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I've heard about Dell. I think Steve kind of described him as Very a, well. a tinkerer, like where he would, try different things and I, you know, I'd be interesting, interested to hear his take on that whole process of figuring these fish out when really nobody had any idea of how to catch them or right. that they were even catchable, you know? You know, it's interesting in the fact that you can, both two people can stand in one location next to a tree and watch a, an apple drop off, mm -hmm. drop out of that tree. And the next day, you know, there are two different stories. Yeah. Exactly. It'd be interesting to see his. So, how take do we believe in the Bible for <laughs> all these years, you know? But yes, uh, listening to Steve Huff talk about the years of the innovation of the Merkin when no one was out there mm -hmm. fishing for, for permit and what they did with that fishery. And now everybody's out there refining it at such a large, mm -hmm. you know, level of success. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, kudos to you. Uh, I've always loved your presence in the shop and your big smile and, uh, and your success is very profound, not only among women, but hugely among men too. And you've got this fishing world that's looking at you going, cat's doing it. Well, so, I, don't, I don't know. So congratulations. You Thank know. you. Yeah. You're very inspiring to a lot of people. Thank you very much. I love it when work ethics and convictions are rewarded. If Kat ever wins, and many believe she will, I'll be applauding among the loudest. Just like when Linda Robertson and Diane Rudolph won against the men in those two tarpon tournaments. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a huge favor and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.